0: Welcome to the Strategic Investor. Join us as we interview some of the world's most productive asset managers and uncover sophisticated and unique investment strategies in the markets. Here is your host, Charlie Wright. Hello
1: and welcome to Strategic Investor Radio on OC Talk Radio, where we bring you investment strategies you are not hearing elsewhere. Very pleased you've joined us. Uh, I'm Charlie Wright, and we're talking today with Ryan Morris, founder and CEO of Maison Capital, a hedge fund focused on building small public companies and using machine learning to identify potential short positions in the market. He speaks to us from the headquarters in San Francisco. So Ryan, welcome to Strategic Investor Radio. Thanks, Charlie. So Ryan, uh, you have a uh, bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering from Cornell. You're the founder and CEO of a startup called Videonote. You've been the chairman of the board of three public companies and an insider at two others, and you founded Maison Capital in 2009. I don't know how you've had time to do all of those things from since 2009, but we certainly want to hear about it. So let's start with a brief background of yours.
2: Yeah, well, one correction there, so it was uh, not mechanical engineering, but undergrad and masters in operations researching, uh, which is basically machine learning and computer science applied to kind of big scale problem. So that's, that was my major. So always, always on the information side, the physical mechanical world was uh, always something for other people I've always been a computer guy. Okay. But, thanks yeah, for doing my,
1: that. And as so a sociology my, major, it's, it's all Greek to me here. So uh, <laughs> I, I appreciate
2: that. It's all, all hard stuff. All engineering yeah. is kind of similar. Right. So I guess like the most relevant thing to understand for my background is my two heroes since I was really young were a guy named Warren Buffett and then another one named Ray Kurzweil that's not as well known as Buffett. But both are leaders in their respective fields, one in business and investing and the other in, in technology and specifically around computer, AI, computing technology that grows at an exponential rate. So those two things had a huge influence on me from a really, really early age. But I'll give you kind of the the unusual background so you understand my motivations first. So I learned about a thing called nuclear fusion when I was 11 years old. And to me, as this naive 11-year-old, it sounded like this incredible thing that could solve all the world's energy problems, which was a pretty noble goal. Uh, And I remember I started learning everything I could about physics and fundamental particle physics. Everything, by the way, is a a particle physics. Uh, It's a quark and an anti-quark. And the reference is to thinking like a physicist where you're always trying to prove yourself wrong and always thinking in terms of it's called first principles uh, that are hard truths. Um, so that that's kind of what originally motivated me and I remember I had a conversation with my father when I was maybe two years into reading a bunch of physics textbooks. He said, look, even if you're the best scientist in the world, you're not going to make fusion happen because, you know, you have to allocate the resources. You have to understand what can finance these big projects. So then I turned to the you know from four hundred and it's you know, Bill Gates, Warren Buffett And then, you know, Warren Buffett, again, sounds kind of intuitively simple to somebody who doesn't know how deep it goes. And that's when I really got into investing and developed a passion for that. But I already had uh, read all the business textbooks by the time I was, uh, I don't know, 16 or something. So I, I stuck with engineering for the academic side.
1: Okay, well, we appreciate that, and uh, and and so in in the professional world, you graduated uh, with a bachelors and masters uh, here in uh, on the information side of uh, technology. And so, how did uh, you get to founding Maison Capital, and kind of what has happened since, briefly?
2: Yeah, so I'm Canadian, and so when I graduated in May of two thousand eight, uh, nobody would hire me. <laughs> Because, I mean, partly I didn't work that hard to to find a job, but I, uh, you know, needing a work visa is actually a pretty big hurdle. Uh, So even graduating with with Cornell Engineering, uh, it was kind of a lot of paperwork, and that was the beginning of the downturn. So I ended up just starting a a software company. I I had to miss class all the time. I was a professional road cyclist during college, so I had to miss class all the time. And so we made, me and my co-founder, who did a PhD in electrical engineering at Cornell, um, started a company that we would record the videos of, of lectures and then index all the content so people could find it. It's called VideoNote. It's actually still around if you go to videonote.com. And so we, we made that, and it was enough to kind of, after nine months, we were profitable and paid the rent. And that was, if you remember, sort of January, February 2009, the world was, was kind of imploding uh, on the economic side. And for me, I, I really get a lot of energy from that kind of chaos. Uh, and so I had always, you know, knew at some point I was going to start a fund and I knew it was going to be called Maison since I was very young, but I, um, I really took the plunge and real, you know, becoming a fiduciary is a hugely big responsibility when other people trust you with their money. And I wanted to make sure that I wasn't going to lose that money. And so once the opportunity set in February, 2009, uh, you know, became so good, I just thought, you know, there's no way I'm going to lose money yet the prices that are available today for some of these these things. So that's when took the plunge and, and launched it. We launched really small and you know sort of friends and family as usual. And uh, by the end of the year, we were kind of off and running.
1: Okay, so lo- let's move into your, your strategies here. You have two basic strategies. One is you look to building small companies. I presume these are small public companies?
2: Yeah, most of the time we're actually doing our first private one just just right now. But historically, they've all been public. Yeah.
1: Okay. And then number two, you use machine learning to identify potential short positions. Uh, so, uh, tell us uh, about these strategies here.
2: Yeah. So we've we've had like a pretty unusual arc from 09 to today. And it's been, a, I would say, a continuous evolution. Like I would, We've never changed strategy along the way, but it's been, as we've developed more capabilities, as technology has gotten better, we've incorporated those things uh, You know, as we've grown. And so we started with a very traditional kind of Buffett-like deep value, small cap focus. The number one most important question in investing or business is always, what's your edge, what's your competitive advantage? If you can't answer that, then you don't have one. <laughs> Uh, and, and you certainly can't build on it. Right. And so we started. We started with these smaller public companies because they were sort of not worth big funds' time to focus on. And so you know, there's some kind of funny stories in there. Like the first one, we the first kind of activist thing we did. By the way, uh, you know, we, we were very successful early on when the market was extremely cheap uh, finding these things. But I very quickly realized that if they're small public companies that are very cheap, they're almost always. Like ninety-eight percent of the time, because the management is is terrible, uh, and so the the problem is you might have a dollar worth fifty cents today, but the incumbent management is going to turn that dollar into a nickel <laughs> over enough time. Okay. Uh, and so, and so we you know, our first kind of activist thing was there's this hearing aid retail company, and uh, yeah, we met the, the CEO for lunch, and uh, you know we got a salad, and he had seven scotches. And it was totally fine <laughs> and i was like half <laughs> terrified half impressed um but then yeah pretty quickly after that the business started kind of imploding the supplier relationships soured and so we ended, we ended up uh, going activist and got the company sold for uh, a 3x return for shareholders though so. great uh, so that was kind of my first real entree into that and that, that sort of put me on the radar for some other shareholders who sort of gave me a call and said hey you seem to be this young smart guy who likes to bang brick walls down with his head uh, why don't you take a crack at this next one? Uh, so that's when I got some calls about this company called Infuse System. was yeah, a this healthcare, $50 million healthcare service business. And so I basically called the shareholders and said, hey, what do you think of the management team here? This is late 2011, uh, and some kind of Wall Street guys had taken it, it public and were paying themselves a lot of money, and the stock had gone from $6 to $0.90. Cents. And I, they basically told me, hey, you know, anybody's better than these guys. And I said, well, I'm 27, I've never been on a board before, uh, what do you think? And they said, all right, good enough. <laughs> so, so I managed to replace five of the seven board members and become executive chairman. Uh, well, only only 2% of the company, uh, but it was really because the shareholders were very upset about that. So so we really started with things where you know, we had no resources. You know, I didn't spin out of a bigger fund or something. So we had a tiny fund, but we're able to impact things much sort of punching above our weight, I guess, uh, because we represented other people's interests, not just our own.
1: And where are you today, Ryan, uh, with that particular focus? Are you continuing with that same focus? Are you guys activist investors, um, a la Carl Icahn, or have you kind of moved on from that uh, with different focuses?
2: So we've always, it's always been our long-term plan that that, I mean, activism is a tool. I almost wouldn't even refer to it as a strategy, per se it's a tool that you can use to change things, you know, and and change the course of a business. I mean, the two ways, I I would say, my view has always been there's two kind of optimal peaks in investing, either you're a hands-on, physically changing the world, not just, as opposed to just moving pieces of paper around, like just picking stocks, and there's always gonna be returns available, excess returns available from that, sort of that entrepreneurial alpha uh, and that's always been our focus as an activist. We've been very focused on kind of building companies, not selling off the parts and levering them up and buying back stock or cutting costs kind of thing. I mean, well, you cut the dumb costs, but then you double down on investing into the intelligence stuff. That's always been our approach. Uh, and then on the other side, you have a systematic strategies where you can take the ideas of how you're investing and then do that very scientifically, very consistently using machines and systems. And so we've always had a degree of both. And then I can talk more about the machine learning. Machine learning is, is again, a tool that has only recently become available thanks to technology advances. Um, But it's a way that can can just really allow much sort of deeper, more subtle, more real ideas about investing to be captured and implemented consistently by, by machines.
1: So do you look for uh, an edge? Well, what is your core competency? Is it the information technology that you can that you can bring to a company because of your background and experience, or what are your core competencies here?
2: Yeah, I would say my core competency is really uh, is understanding what drives change at companies. Because I, I have a unique set of experiences as an activist where I've been on you know, half a dozen corporate boards, I've been chairman of three public companies, you know, I've really seen up close, like what does it, what does a business look like as it's changing from kind of a poorly run company that's got a bad vector direction to it towards a better run company, uh, and how that's ultimately going to create value. You know, like infusystem triples, tripled, you know, from when we started to when I stepped down as exec chairman. Uh, Sevcon, uh, we just sold a our Warner for over four times the price when I joined the board. So these are things that really improved along the way. And they're not, it's not as superficial as you might think. I mean, yeah, the revenue went up, the profits went up, but there's other kind of more subtle things that change along the way that most investors who haven't lived through that aren't kind of as uh, astute around. And so the understanding kind of what's real and what's an insight around a business going through change is is really important. And then also being able to cause that change, obviously, is a core competency. Um, but then, yeah, the technology of how do you take that insight and then how do you apply it, you know, consistently to a large number of companies in a way that's, you know, really well risk managed and all that, especially on the short side, um, that that's its own core competency that I would say other people have the ability to develop technology. But it's very rare that I've seen firms that have that sort of depth of business knowledge as well as the, the sort of breadth on the technology side. So that's what's really unusual about us.
1: You know, this is very interesting, Ryan. We need to take a short break, um, and we'll be right back. And when we come back, uh, let's talk about uh, the machine learning end of things and the fact that you also do shorting. So you you short sell uh, various uh, public companies uh, in an effort to boost the returns here. So uh, we'll be right back. We're talking with Ryan Morris, founder and CEO of Maison Capital out of San Francisco, California, a hedge fund. Uh, I'm Charlie Wright, and uh, we'll be back in a couple minutes
0: all right time for our tip of the week what do you have for us today charlie
1: thank you paul we're talking with john kosar asbury research they provide research reports and market signals to subscribers so john we're in july and that's kind of in the middle of uh sell in may and go away pattern. What pattern do you see going forward? What kind of advice do you have for investors?
0: Well, this is one of the most interesting times of the year if you're looking at seasonality. And keep in mind, seasonality is simply statistics. We look at a certain asset, whether it's stocks or bonds or whatever it might be, and we see if during certain times of the year you might see price of the asset go up or down. So the first two weeks of July, which just ended, are seasonally the two strongest weeks by far of the entire third quarter in the S&P 500 based on data going back 60 years. From there, seasonally, again, this is 60 years of data, and it's on average, you get a progressively weaker S&P 500 and that weakness actually accelerates through Labor Day and into the end of the month, so things really start to turn south statistically once we get into September.
1: What do you think that that means for investors? Do they sell, or are they just more careful? What does it mean for?
0: No, I would look at this as a blinking yellow light on a dark road rather than a stop sign. We tell our clients is when you know there's a seasonal tendency for a certain asset to do something, take stock of what you have. See what indexes you hold. Are you holding the S&P, the Dow? And ask yourself the question, should something turn south here? Should something turn the market where it starts to go down? Where do I want to get out? Or what do I want to put in place so I I'm not making a decision when the pressure's on and I wake up some morning and the S&P is down 15 or 20 points or something geopolitically happened. So this is when you should really look at what you have and have an escape plan. Hopefully you don't have to execute it, but this is when you should be planning for the worst and hoping for the best.
1: So John, excellent advice Uh, for those who would like to know more, where can they go?
0: The best place to reach out to us is go to our website. It's research.com, A-S-B-U-R-Y research.com. There's a contact tab there. Send that to us right from the website and we can offer you some sample copies and give you a little bit of information about what we do for subscribers.
1: John, thanks for joining us today and congratulations on that new granddaughter. Thanks, Charlie.
2: All right, back to Charlie and his guest.
1: Thank you, Paul. Again, we're talking with Ryan Morris, founder and CEO of Maison Capital, a hedge fund focused on building small public companies and using machine learning to identify potential short positions in the market. And he's speaking to us from San Francisco. So let's change focus here for uh, a minute here, Ryan, and talk about machine learning. That's a a phrase that many will not be familiar with, How do? You, what is machine learning? How do you apply it and specifically to short positions? And why do you do that when your main focus is buying these smaller public companies and building them uh, as an activist and as a consultant to improve things?
2: Yeah, well, it's funny, your break is a really good dovetail of this planning for the worst, hoping for the best, where the market valuations are today are is pretty scary there's not a lot of easy value out there and so the the two sides of our strategy are very complementary and the reason is this is that we're focused on solving really hard problems that we can control like we can work harder to bring in more resources bring in better strategy bring in better management to companies that we're very focused on on the long side But then the worst thing, like the worst investment I ever did in my life was turning around an oil company and we did a great job at it just in time for oil to go from 120 to 40 (laughs) and everybody in the whole industry got, got smoked. And so I really like taking out of the equation things that are beyond my direct control and influence as an investor and as a business person. Uh, and so that's where shorting is really important. So it allows us to really, not have to look over our shoulder for things that we can't really control like the overall market or you know exogenous events. And so it, it's also, I, I don't want to say shorting is easy because it's actually very, it's very hard and it's, you know, I don't recommend it for people at home, but we are very good at it. And because we know what to look for in companies, particularly on companies that are kind of getting worse and deteriorating, time is, is not on those companies' side and we're really good at identifying them consistently uh, actually, so the, everybody knows the stock market has sort of gone up over time, but a piece of data that's counterintuitive that most people don't realize is actually two-thirds, more, way more than half of individual stocks actually will decline and do worse than average over time. And you say, well, okay, how is that possible? And the reason is you think for every Amazon, they actually put, you know, of every huge stock that goes up, they actually put like 100 guys out of business, uh, so the guys who struggle, and that that trend is actually accelerating, which is which is a little in the public market. The number of public companies is shrinking, um, and so it's actually easier than you might think to identify long-term shorts. In the short term, you know, the last six eight weeks when the Russell two thousand went up eleven percent in six weeks, you know, it seems hard. But but if you have long-term business fundamental understanding, it actually is something that you know we're sort of over eighty percent accurate on on shorting over. That the long term. And it's actually, again, if you think about whenever some company like Amazon, Tesla is doing something just incredible, it almost by definition has to have never been done before. Because if, if they are uh, following a recipe, then there'd be 10 other guys following the same recipe and it wouldn't stand out. That same economic rule does not apply on the short side. Companies make the same silly mistakes over and over again, uh, that it, the pattern recognition is much clearer. Uh, and it's you know we call our fund gravity because <laughs> it's a very long range force.
1: Right. So so you use machine learning to help you to identify these companies, and that is is just basically a trading um, endeavor on your part. You're not working with those companies uh, at all. You may not know those companies. Whereas the long side, you are buying into publicly traded companies, and then you try to work with them to improve things for the company and then improve the price. Is that it?
2: Yeah, exactly. I think you're always going to be able to get better returns if you're physically shaping the world and really creating value as opposed to just moving pieces of paper around as an investor, as a stock picker. And so we you know, put our energy into that. But then we also are totally hedged so that if the market went down, <laughs> our fund will probably go up. Uh, And that's really important because when the market goes down, that's when the opportunity set for the long side also becomes much, much more attractive. So, like our, you know, we were up many multiples back in 2009 in that year because the opportunity set was so incredible. It's not that we were, you know, massively better investors then. It's just the opportunity set um, was great. And and to talk about machine learning, to you know, give a little bit of a primer on it. um, So if you think, so this is how to think about it. So there's been quants for a long time, you know, they use linear models to examine patterns in the world. But they can only go sort of very shallow because of the limitations in the math techniques that have been used for a long time. So machine learning has totally changed it, it's completely revolutionary. And that's why you've seen these dominoes tip, you know, with chess uh, a long time ago, but now go, and then poker, the best human poker player was defeated by a machine earlier this year. So there's not many information processing games. There are, there are basically no information processing games left that humans still are superior to machines. Machines are better at that kind of task. And fundamentally, the way to think about it is: if you, how does it, how does a human investor become a good investor? You know, you could wake up one day and decide to start investing. You read the newspaper, you find a stock, read whatever you can about it, and then you buy the stock or short it, and then you wait and see what happens, and then you can learn with experience. and, and that's kind of expensive because you might be wrong. Um, A better way would be to look at, let's say, historical case studies. So you pull out your whatever old value line from 10 years ago and you look at a stock and you read everything you would have known about it at that point in time. And then you can, you know, the revenue, the margins, the history, and then you can make up your mind and say, hey, I think this is a good investment or a a good short or, or not interesting. And then you can sort of turn over the next page and see what happened a year later. And then you could do that many, many times to develop a good framework of what's important, what's predictive. Uh, and so we basically automate that process uh, of, how, of how the machines learn in a very deep way. And we, we know how to sort of coach the machines about what's important, because we've done it ourselves.
1: OK, and uh, so is all of this proprietary? Uh, that you're doing, or uh, do, 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 is one able to purchase some of this stuff uh, that you're talking about on the machine learning side?
2: Uh, well, they can invest in our fund. That's our business model. We don't sell any of this, though. We run all of our own money personally, uh, like a family office, and then we also have outside investors.
1: Yeah, but but are you the ones that have created this the, 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 these algorithms, algorithms and?
2: Things? Oh yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, we uh, we have a team of five engineers now, full time. Okay. This is really hard stuff. This is very hard stuff to build. It became possible to build in the last sort of year or so because computing prices because of cloud computing has plummeted. Uh, and the underlying kind of optimized math modules that allow you to piece the thing together have become available open source. So but to build an actual system is a massive endeavor.
1: Okay, well, congratulations for, for doing that. Uh, let, let's switch over a little bit here uh, to the investment side. What, what do you see, Ryan, are the typical misconceptions that uh, investors often have about investing?
2: Yeah, you know, I, I have a friend who just launched a fund a, a year and a bit ago, and then just shut down. And I think the biggest, uh, you know, sort of tip, conventional kind of long, short stock picking fund. And I think the biggest misconception is that the same rules still apply. I mean, this time really is different. The world has never seen what's happening right now before. I mean, you just look, for example, 1990 Detroit, big three, Ford GM Chrysler had 65 billion market cap, million two employees. Today, the big three in Silicon Valley, Google, Facebook, Apple, uh, two trillion market cap with 200,000 employees. I mean, that's 150x sort of value per employee. Uh, you can, you know, people can argue it's overvalued, but you know, it's not not by that much. And this is because of the power of technology. I mean, some of it's on the interest rate side, but I think the technology forces are even, are even more important for an investor to understand. Uh, I don't see many industries safe from disruption from technological forces uh, right now. I mean, I'm in the process myself of working on a company that has the most efficient electric motor in the world. And that's an industry that's literally not changed in 100 years. Uh, And we have something that is entirely enabled by more computing performance. And I think we're going to totally disrupt the $500 billion electric motor market that's got its hands tied behind its back because it doesn't have any software engineers.
1: Well, Uh, that's uh, going to be interesting to watch here, I tell you. Uh, Good luck. Uh, So so tell us... Who are the types of clients that you have? You're a hedge fund, so do you work only with institutional clients, or, or do you allow retail clients? Do you work with investment advisors? Who Who are your types of clients?
2: Uh, well, I have to be accredited investors because we're a private fund, so we're not right, a mutual
1: fund, big right, right.
2: retail money. So you have to have a net worth over two million dollars. Uh, but a lot of our investors are uh, other entrepreneurs, you know, business owners. We actually have uh, we have a handful of institutions. Um, at the moment, and we're really growing in that area, but I guess I would say an interesting one is a lot of other hedge fund managers themselves, the individuals running them, um, they invest their personal money with us, uh, and that's sort of flattering, because obviously they they know how to manage money, but I guess we're doing something that's like so unique that they're you know interested in, uh, in being along the ride with us.
1: Congratulations. Uh, if you're a hedge fund and you're doing things that are unique within the hedge fund industry, that is certainly... Unique here. Um, So, are you the only ones who do uh, what you do?
2: I don't know of any other activists who are computer programmers. uh, So, I would say yes. (laughs) There's other guys. There's a handful of other guys using machine learning now. I mean, I uh, there's a fund of funds called Move Thirty Seven, MOV Thirty Seven, that I'd encourage your listeners to go look on their website. And there's a lot of great material about machine learning and investing generally. Uh, They're part of Protege, a big two billion dollar fund of funds in New York, and and so they've sort of relayed to us that, you know, maybe there's a hundred guys doing machine learning, 25 are real, you know, and it's really, truly done properly. Um, but then as far as like, they can tell and we can tell, we're the only ones who are applying it with this long-term business fundamental way. And especially on the short side, which is where I really think it can add the most value because uh, it's just sort of more fundamentally predictive.
1: Well, that that is very interesting, Ryan. And congratulations for uh, being so creative here uh, in in an already creative industry. So a question we like to ask all of our guests, Ryan, what keeps you awake at night?
2: Uh, Well, I (laughs) work a lot. So, no, I I feel like I'm I'm actually in a really good place right now. I mean, we've really built an amazing team. You know, when I was doing more of the confrontational activist stuff, you know, the when I would have people that I thought were kind of my, my friends kind of turn on me and like some managers that I had supported along the way, maybe got sort of wary of um, you know, their own jobs or something like that, would sort of preemptively strike, I guess you could say, like at Sevcon that, that happened. Um, that, that, was, that was pretty frustrating when you extend, when I, I'm like a really trusting guy, like even though I'm an activist, I'm definitely not the kind of stereotype, kind of the, news, Carl Icon in the newspaper. Um, I'm a really naturally trusting kind of a guy, and I want to give people the benefit of the doubt. And so, when people violate that, it's really sort of cuts me deeply. Um, so I had a lot of that, a, ha- a handful of times during the activist things. But yeah, we're um, we're sort of through that. I would say that phase of our evolution, where now we can really work to buy out the whole companies as a as a kind of first step after taking an initial public position, uh, or just just working with our team. Like we have a fantastic team now of guys who are all really motivated, super smart, and honest.
1: And so the second question we'd like to ask, uh, Ryan, what book on investing would you recommend for our listeners?
2: Um, I, I guess I'd give a couple. So early on, I read Poor Charlie's Almanac. This is about Charlie, a collection of Charlie Munger, Warren Buffett's very worldly partner, uh, and a lot of speeches and everything he's done. So that, I would say, has got to be mandatory reading for, for anyone, just to learn about how the world works and in investing and business.
1: uh, By the way, I have read that book, and uh, very interesting. He says it like it is. No one questions what's on his mind when he speaks, or what his position is, and uh, I really enjoyed that. And Yeah, it's primarily uh, speeches that he gave here. So number two?
2: Uh, Well, and then the other, like I said, my two heroes are Buffett and Kurzweil. So Ray Kurzweil, uh, The Singularity is Near, which is a 2005 book, is kind of his biggest, most in-depth one about all the different exponential technologies. Um, so I would say, if you haven't read that, to understand how impactful those kinds of technologies are, people should absolutely read that.
1: Okay, thank you very much. And uh, nobody has recommended that book before, so we, we appreciate uh, a new one here. So give us your website, and for those who would like to know more, what can they do?
2: Uh, well, they can uh, go to our website, which we're in the process of updating, so it'll be better soon. Or send me an email, email info, I-N-F-O at maisoncapital.com. That's M E S O N capital.com. And the website is just www.maisoncapital.com. And uh, yeah, happy to uh, to share more thoughts. We're also on a hard, there's a platform called HVST.com for sharing kind of articles, and, and we're on that. So it's kind of a uh, blogging platform.
1: Okay, thank you. And so, final words for our listeners here, Ryan.
2: <laughs> be very careful in this environment if you're a long-only investor. Valuations are have only been higher for several months back in the 2000 internet bubble. I'm not predicting a crash tomorrow, but I mean, the opportunity set if you're a long-only investor right now are something you should be very, very cautious about. Stick to what you know really well.
1: Thank you, Ryan. And uh, most of the people that we interview would echo those sentiments uh, as well as us here. So thank you very much. So, Ryan, thank you for joining us today. And our best wishes uh, to you and Maison Capital for continued success here. Thanks, Charlie. Again, we've been talking with Ryan Morris, founder and CEO of Maison Capital, a hedge fund out of San Francisco. You've been listening to Strategic Investor Radio on OC Talk Radio. We'd love to have you contact us at info at com, And you can go to our website to hear podcasts of all of our interviews and shows, strategicinvestorradio.com. I'm Charlie Wright, wishing you all an enjoyable week and productive investing.